So we uh, continue through our journey through the book of Colossians. We are part three, and uh, we are asking the question, is Jesus really enough? Is he really enough for our salvation? Is he really enough for us in terms of our lives, our meaning, our purpose as a church? Even because, according to Google, uh, there are over 4,200 different religions in the world, uh, depending on how you define a religion or a faith movement or a belief system. And so can you imagine 4,200 different views, different voices, different philosophies telling you how to live a life worthy of your particular God or gods or deities? 4,200 different ways saying, no, no, you need to live like this, no, no, you need to believe this, you need to stop doing that, you need to wear this, you need to stay over there, you need to like these people and not like those people. Uh, some of those voices might even say, no, you can, you can totally believe in Jesus too, but not exclusively because he's not sufficient for you to live a life worthy of your God or gods or deities or whatever it might be. And this was uh, a similar situation that the Colossians were in. They didn't have 4,200 different theologies, um, but some scholars reckon they had, a, they had up to about 44 different doctrines or false teachers telling them all sorts of different things, but all agreeing that Jesus is not sufficient. Jesus is not sufficient for you to live a life worthy of your God. The Gnostics were saying, for instance, hey, listen, you want, you want to know everything about spiritual uh, matters and salvation and how to live worthy of God? Well, you need to come to us because we have divine knowledge. Then the Judaizers were saying, no, no, don't listen to them. You need to listen to us because we have the Jewish law, all sorts of things that you can and can't do and all sorts of uh, holy festivals that you need to observe and only then you might qualify to live a life faithful to God. And then others were saying, no, no, you, you need to incorporate the worship of angels in there. Others were saying, no, no, what you need to do is you need to take a little bit of what they're saying, a little bit of what they're saying, and, and top it all off with a little bit of Jesus just to make sure we cover all of our bases. But that's the thing, right? We all want to live lives that are worthy of God, that are faithful to God. I'm guessing the fact that you are here, that you braved the rain and the cloudy weather, that the fact that you are here means that you have a desire to live faithfully to God and to bring honor to him. And so as Paul continues now in his prayer for the Colossians, last week we started his prayer for them and we'll finish it this morning. In this prayer now, the rest of it, he's going to show us that it is only through Jesus that we can live worthy of God. Because it's only through Jesus that we have access to God's will which makes complete sense, right? You want to know how to live worthy of God, then we need to know what God wants. And so who better to help us than the Son of God himself? And then secondly, we're going to see that uh, through Jesus, we have access to God's power, his ability to help us live worthy of God. And then lastly, that it's through Jesus that we are even qualified in the first place to begin to live a life for God. So I want you to turn in your Bibles with me and click on your Bibles, or you're welcome to follow on the screen too. Uh, there are Bibles in your chair pockets. If you don't have one, uh, you can grab hold of it or ask someone to pass you one. And uh, why don't you turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 uh, from verse 9. And as you're going there, Paul uh, is going to highlight some ways now in the rest of this prayer as to how Jesus helps us remain faithful to God in a very 
pluralistic world, a world where there are all of these voices telling us different ways to live and please God. So here we go from verse nine. He says, and so from the day we heard, what did they hear? They, they, Paul was, was listening, he was hearing about the Colossian situation. I've heard that you've got all of these different voices. Sometimes some people say up to 44 different voices telling you how to worship God, what to believe in in order to live faithfully to Him. And so because of your situation and because of our situation, Sunrise, because of the world that we're living in, he says this, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, here we go, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, being faithful to Him, in other words. He says, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So if you flip over your bulletin, you will see three ways that Jesus helps us live God-honoring and faithful lives. We're going to see this, that Jesus helps us uh, to know God's will, secondly, um, to know his power, and then lastly, we will finish off seeing that he has qualified us. So here we go, point number one. We can remain faithful to God by knowing his will. And, and like I said earlier, just, it just makes sense, Right? If you want to live a faithful life to God, then you need to know what He wants, what His will is, so that we can live according to it. And so the first thing Paul prays is this. He says, that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So Paul's first request for the Colossians is that they would have the spiritual wisdom, the spiritual understanding. And the big problem, though, like we've been saying, is that there are so many other false teachers going, no, no, here we go. We know, we know all, we have all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We have the knowledge to it. Come and listen to us. But what Paul is saying, or rather he's praying, he's saying, please, Lord, fill them with the knowledge of the spiritual wisdom according to your will. Not man's will, not man's understanding of you, your will. And he's intentional in using the word fill. Our English language is so limited. The the Greek language is far more colorful. It means to cram to the top, to be so full that nothing else can get in there. So no room for any other knowledge to creep in and influence these Colossians. And then the word knowledge there is epigenosis in the Greek, which refers to a precise knowledge or a precise discernment. So he's saying you need to have precise knowledge of his will so as to have correct spiritual wisdom and understanding. But now this is interesting because what is to stop someone from saying, okay, so Paul is praying this for us. So guess what, guys? He's, he's answered his his prayer, I, I, I know what God wants. I know God's will. And then he proceeds to tell the church a whole bunch of rubbish and misleads the church, misleads the members, misleads the congregation. And maybe you've experienced something like this in your life before. 
where you've been led astray or, or led to believe in wrong ideas about God because someone thought that they had an idea of who he is and what he wants. They had a, a particular interpretation of who God is and they preached it even from a pulpit which is perceived to be a place of authority. Perceived to be, right? There's no authority in a pulpit. It's all in God's word, just to clarify that. So, I'm thinking, well, isn't this a bit risky of Paul? Isn't it a bit risky to, to say that? But here's what we need to remember. Everything Paul says must be interpreted within its context, within its literary context. In other words, everything that Paul has just said, it needs to be combined with that in order for us to get the meaning, for us to get the understanding. So therefore, verse 9 here is to be interpreted especially regarding his opening line of his letter. Have a look at verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother, and so remember we said that an apostle is a sent one, a messenger of God. And so he's saying it's God's will that Paul be a messenger on behalf of Jesus. It's God's will that Paul deliver God's will or deliver God's word. So how we need to understand Paul's prayer here is that as the Colossians are, are hearing this letter being read out to them, that hopefully they're realizing, whoa, whoa, this is God's word. Therefore, this is God's revealed will for them. And so the implication of that sunrise, it's huge for us. What this means is that God's will is revealed to us. It's here in his written word. God hasn't made it complicated. You don't have to go and visit some Guru or climb a high mountain and spend 10 days up there waiting for spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's here through the penship of the apostles and prophets of old. Now for some of you that might be a controversial statement, so let me put some Bible underneath that. Paul writes to his young disciple Timothy and he encourages him in the word to, to persevere in studying the word. Have a look at 2 Timothy 3. From verse 15, he says, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. The sacred writings in this context at this time was, was referring mostly to the Old Testament, which was completed. The New Testament was busy being written, namely the letters to Timothy and Colossians and things like that. And so he says, And from the childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And we read in that, well, that's what Paul is praying for the Colossians here. You want wisdom? You want wisdom in all spiritual matters, especially salvation? Well, here it is. It's found in God's will, which is the sacred writings, which is our Bible. Because listen to me. If you want precise knowledge of God's will, so as to remain faithful to him, you don't want to rely on me. You don't want to rely on my understanding. I went to public school in South Africa. There, there is nothing special about me. I just have an intense love for Jesus and a passion to understand his word and help others 
That's why I'm so desperate for you to see that what I'm talking about, Sunday after Sunday, is from the scriptures. If you can't see it in the scriptures, ignore what I have to say. And so here comes the main purpose for revealing his will to us. Paul goes on in his prayer, he says that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, here we go, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. All of that coming from this precise knowledge, this precise discernment of his will so that we will be able to live a life faithfully to him. It will cause you, what are you saying? This precise knowledge, this will of his, it will cause you to conduct your life or your lifestyle in a manner worthy of God, pleasing to him, bearing godly fruits. And he says, abounding in this right knowledge of him. Because here's the deal, Sunrise. This revealed will of his is probably our biggest weapon or safeguard in a very pluralistic world. Because like Google tells us, there is so much stuff about God and spirituality and spiritual matters out there, and all of them are trying to paint a picture of what a life, a, a life worthy of God looks like. But God has made it clear to us, having his will written down for us, but now, can you imagine, just imagine this for a second, you're, you're, you're squashed into Anisimus' house, remember they, they, this church in Colossus, they met in Anisimus' house, and you're squashed in there and you're listening to this letter being read, read out to the church, and you lean over to your mate and you go, yeah, this, this sounds really good, uh, it sounds really authoritative and, and good, but I must admit, I, I like what the... Um, the, the synchronistic guys were saying, like, you know, you've got to take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of, a little bit of Jesus, just to, just to, I mean, surely they would cover all of our bases, right? And your friend leans over and goes, no, 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 I actually like what the Gnostics were saying, the guys with the big words, and what they were saying about this, and what they were saying about that, 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 that made more sense to me. You see, the problem is that God's word is not always clear on some specific things that we face or that we go through in life. And some other religions, they might say this, or they might do, th do that, and, and, and we, might, we might think, well, that sounds good. That, that makes logical sense. That, that sounds even biblical. But if I do it, will it please God? If I do it, will it cause me to live a life worthy of Him? Will it result in a faithful life to Him? So let's shift gears a bit here. And so what about other things in life? What about things like your work, your relationships, your, your finances, big financial decisions? How do I know what God's will is for those things? How do I know that I'm going to make a decision that will glorify him, that will honor him? Because the Bible doesn't tell me, should I marry Sue or should I marry Mary? The Bible doesn't tell me, that should I become a plumber or a lawyer? Or should I invest over here or invest over there? So the argument would be then, surely then I can't be full to the brim with God's will. I need to have some space and allow some other spiritual influence to help me with these things, these decisions that I need to make. See, here's the thing. 
what we need to realize that as we are searching God's word, as we are searching his word for things pertaining to our life, God's word is busy searching us. It's searching your heart. It's searching your mind, conforming our minds and our hearts according to God's word. As we read it, as we meditate on it, it's busy changing our mind so that when we come to a particular situation in our lives, a big decision that we have to make, we can discern this way actually would bring dishonor to God. This way would bring him much glory. Why? Because your mind is being filled to the brim with the, the knowledge of his will, changing your mind, conforming your mind to his ways. I mean, husbands and wives, you, you guys know this, right? You've been married for so long, you just know that there's certain things that you don't even need to ask your husband or your wife. Why? Because you fill to the brim with the knowledge of their will. You just know that they're not going to like that. Or, or growing up, you know, someone comes up to you and says, hey, are you going to go to so-and-so's party? And you can just say no without any hesitation. You don't even need to ask your parents. Why? Because you fill to the brim of the knowledge of their will. And you're just like, ah, they're just not going to go with that. You know that. And so you might be thinking, yeah, but Jason, I've read the Bible. I've read you know, Genesis, creation, Noah's Ark, and I've read the Gospels and Paul's there's and Revelations just freaks me out, but I've read the Bible. Sunrise, we need to keep reading. We need to keep reading God's revealed will because it's the means that the Holy Spirit uses to change our minds to transform our hearts so that we not conform to the ways of the world, so that we don't make decisions according to the ways of the world, but according to his ways. I was uh, visiting one of our community groups earlier this week, and I was, I was really blessed. Um, this one particular person said that they, how they leverage the bad traffic in the morning on the way to work to, to listen to as many sermons or, or, or a sermon um, uh, on their way to work, and so you know, they're sitting in, in traffic and they're listening to the sermon. I thought, brilliant. She's renewing her mind. She's preparing her mind. She's filling her mind up with God's will so that she will be faithful to God in the workplace. That she would be salt and light for the Lord in her place of work. Which then brings us to the next way Jesus helps us remain faithful to God. And that is through his power. And we need to understand the amazing truth of that statement. That God, not only does he uh, uh, give us his will plainly for us in his word, but he doesn't leave us to muster up the strength to live out his will. I mean, I, I like to think, I like to think, me personally, that I'm a fairly disciplined person. Uh, I'm fairly disciplined in my Bible reading, fairly disciplined even when it comes to things like, like exercise. And I know I'm putting myself in a tough spot here because all of my CrossFit coaches are here. And I only went once this week, so I'm just throwing out my confession right now. But you know what, sometimes I, I jump onto the CrossFit uh, website and I, and I look at the workout for the day and I go, Whew. Do I really feel like doing 12 rounds of burpees and pull-ups and snatches? 
And I go, I know, I know exercise is good for me and I know it'll benefit me. But like, mm, it's my, my back. My back feeling a little bit iffy today. I'm like, ooh, am I, am I coming down or something? Oh, I better not go because I have to preach on Sunday. I can't get sick because I have to preach on, on Sunday. And so I begin to compromise, right? I, I lack the strength to be faithful to even the good things in life. And so how much more I walk with God, especially for the, the Colossians who are being bombarded with all of these false teachings, all of these false doctrines. And like I said earlier, maybe some of them even sounded good. Maybe some of them made sense. Maybe some of them even promised certain things. That, hey, if you do this, I promise you this will happen. And so how were they to remain strong? How were they to remain persevering in applying God's will for their lives? Well, Paul continues in his prayer and he prays for their strength. Have a look at this, verse 11. He says, he prays that they would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Not yours. You don't have to muster up the strength here. Here's the purpose. For all endurance and patience with joy. And that word power in the Greek is the word dunamis, which some people say is probably where we get our word dynamite from. And so when we think of God's glorious might and when we think of his glorious power, we usually associate it with the big things that God's done, right? Like the big sensational things. Like we think of the story of Moses, how God's power worked through Moses and the, and the, the Red Sea parted in, uh, before them and, and the thousands and thousands of Israelites could pass through on, on dry land and escape slavery in Egypt, escape the pursuing Egyptian army. I just thought, have, have you ever stopped to think about that story? Not, not like from a childhood perspective, but from an adult. Like now, have you ever stopped to think about that story? That God used a normal, normal stuttering person like, like Moses and used him for his glory, his power through Moses. A normal person like you and me. Paul, the writer. God's power through him to raise someone from the dead, heal people left, right, and center. A normal person like you and me. But how often do we think of this awesome power of God helping us endure, helping us persevere, helping us be patient, helping us have joy despite our circumstances? Because the Colossians were in a trial. They were in a tough spot. Their faith in Jesus was being tested. Their faithfulness to the idea that Jesus is enough for them was being severely tested. And their only hope to endure it, to be patient with joy, was God's dynamic power at work within them. Warren Wiersbe, a great scholar of the Bible, who actually passed away earlier this year, he wrote this about this particular text. He says this, the word patience means endurance when circumstances are difficult. He says it's the opposite of despondency. We must never think that patience is complacency. He says patience is endurance in action. It's not the Christian sitting in a rocking chair waiting for God to do something. He says it is the soldier on the battlefield keeping on when the going is tough. It is the runner on the racetrack refusing to stop because he wants to win the race. But now we can't do that. 
We, we, we can't do that. What Dr. Wiersbe is describing here is the power of God on display through us. So it's not necessarily the big sensational things like the parting of seas, the raising of the dead, people being healed. No, it's, it's an enduring, patient, and joyous faithfulness to God. Like a soldier, like a faithful soldier, faithful to the mission in protecting his country. Like the runner running that race, focused on winning despite the pain that they're feeling, despite the distance that they still have to cover. And Paul is praying, please Jesus, give them, give the Colossians, give Sunrise a divine energy system to stay focused on you, to endure despite all of these voices, despite all of these influences. Which then brings us to an important question. How do we then appropriate this power into our lives? Well, we need to remember that this is a prayer. Paul is praying that the Colossians would endure, that they would remain faithful to God. And so we're to do the same. But I want to try to be as helpful and as practical as, as possible here. So firstly, our job through prayer is to identify those areas in our lives where we're not being faithful to God. Those areas in our lives where we are compromising on our faith and in our walk with Him. And so we pray, right? Because that's what Paul's doing, we pray. Lord, where do I need to persevere in being more faithful to you? What area of my life? Maybe, it's, maybe Lord, it's my, my, my relationship with you. I'm not consistent enough in my time with you, in time in your word. I'm too distracted by other voices. Or maybe, Lord, be, be more faithful to you in how I am in my other relationships. To persevere in purity and holiness. To bring you glory. Or to be more faithful to you in my finances. To be a better steward of the finances that you have blessed me with. Or with my doubts and my fears that I might have. Or the trials that I'm busy going through. The trial that I'm busy going through. Right now, I know that I'm angry with you. I'm blaming you for the trial that I'm in. But maybe I should be clinging to you rather. And so once we've done that, when we're probably not feeling too good about ourselves, we then ask for the strength. We ask for the strength of God to come and help us. And here's a specific way that we can do that. So we take that area that we've identified and we go back to point one and we ask, what is God's will for this particular area of my life? In other words, we go back to the Bible and we ask, what is a corresponding promise in the Bible that deals with this area in my life? And then we pray, Lord, please, through your strength, would you appropriate your will, what you're saying here in my life? life so that I will bring you glory and honor. For instance, in light of what the Colossians were going through, maybe some of you, maybe they were doubting. Jesus, are you really enough? Jesus, are you really the only way to God, God the Father? And so then we take up a promise like John 14, have a look at this, verse six. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And so we take that promise and we pray. We, we, we pray, give me strength to be faithful to you because I see in your will here, I see in your word here, that there is no other way, there is no other truth, there is no other life because you and the Father are one, Jesus. Because here's the thing, sunrise. God wants to fulfill his will. It's his will. He wants to fulfill it. And so if we pray it, we can be assured that it's a prayer that he will answer in one way or another. So finally we arrive at the ultimate way which we can remain faithful to God despite living in this very pluralistic world. And without this next truth, we would not be able to know God's will and we would not be able to know his power, his sustaining power. The amazing thing about this prayer that we've seen so far that is in these two requests by Paul, they refer to the present situation, the present reality of the Colossians. Paul is saying, you know, Lord, please, would you, right now, in what they're going through, would you fill them with the knowledge of your will and would you fill them with your sustaining power to keep them faithful to you? But the next point of this prayer is not a request. It's a foundation that launches Paul into praise. It's, it refers to praise and thanksgiving to God because of what he has done. It's in the past tense. And it's only because of this that the Colossians and you and I can know God's will and his power. So have a look at this. Through Jesus, we are, he has qualified us. And that word qualified means to do something so as to attain uh, some official approval so that you can become something, do something, or receive something. For instance, when uh, we first arrived on Ireland, we heard that we had to go do our driver's test. And uh, so off I went to go do my driver's license test, and I was as nervous as, I felt like I was writing my finals all over again. And boy, it came down to the wire. One question left. Get it right, you pass. Get it wrong, you have to do it all over again and pay like $50 or something like that. So I was, I was sweating profusely, I was praying profusely, and through some incredibly skillful guesswork, <laughs> I hit the right answer, passed. Qualified immediately in that moment. Qualified to drive legally on the island. Never mind how I actually drive. A little white card tells me, hey, you can drive legally on the island. Now, there's just no way we could ever pass the test of holiness and be deemed qualified or faithful before God. It's just no ways. But in this very pluralistic world that we're living in, some voices will go, please, man, you're totally qualified. You're a good person, right? Yes. Well, then you're qualified. And then other voices will go, don't, don't listen to that guy. You are seriously not qualified. You're a sinner, a serious sinner. You, in fact, you need more than Jesus. You need all these laws, all these rules, and you need to dress like this, and you need to do this, believe that, believe that, with a little bit of Jesus, and then maybe you'll be qualified to be right 
before God. But the gospel doesn't mean good news for nothing. Have a look at verse 12 with me. Paul goes on and he says, with joy, or some scholars say, joyously giving thanks to the Father. So like I said, no more requests, right? This is praise. And here's the reason why. Giving thanks to the Father who has, past tense, who has qualified or rendered you, or, or, or rendered you able to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. God has done this. God has firstly qualified you to be a saint. And we saw that in our very first sermon. A saint is one who's genuinely born again, someone who is declared justified before God. And as a saint, you're then qualified to share in this inheritance, this heritage that is kept in heaven for you, that has been laid up for you in heaven. It's this hope that we spoke about last week. God has done it, not you. Secondly, look what he's done. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. That's this jurisdiction or this government of evil. You've been delivered from it. The good old devil is no longer your governor or your ruler. You are no longer a citizen in his spiritual kingdom because God has done this and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. God has done that. God has qualified you and me to be a new citizen in a new kingdom with a new king. But who passed the test? Who passed the test so that we could be these qualified citizens? He tells us in verse 14, in whom? In this new king. This new king passed the test in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You know what the biblical definition for sin is? It means to miss the mark. You've missed the mark. The mark is 100%. The mark is God's righteousness, and you and I, we've fallen way short of his righteousness. It's worse than getting an F on your test paper. We didn't even qualify to write the test in the first place. But Jesus wrote it for us, passed with flying colors, even though it cost him his life. And then he swapped our test scores. He swapped our test scores. He gets ours, which is like, would have been like an eternal detention, and we get his. Resulting, he says, in redemption, forgiveness, we get declared qualified. Which is the exact opposite of what these false teachers were saying. They're saying, no, no, you need to do more. You need to believe more in order to try and be qualified before God. The gospel says, no, you are qualified. Therefore, you are enabled to live the faithful life. Because you are qualified, you can now begin to live faithfully. Let me finish off by saying this. I'll tell you the difference. The thing that sets Christianity apart from all other religions, from all of these other 4,200 odd religions, and that is Christianity, as far as I know, is the only religion that says, that believes that our God did all, the, all of the qualifying work for us. Yeah. At great cost to himself. At great cost to himself, he has qualified us to be forgiven. 
at great cost to himself, he has qualified us to be saints with an inheritance waiting for us. At great cost to himself, he has given us the power to live for him, to endure for him. At great cost to himself, he has given us his word so that we might know how to live more faithfully for him and to him. So sunrise, through Jesus, everything has been provided. Everything has been provided for us to live a God-honoring life. All we have to do is take hold of it. Take hold of it. And then can you imagine, just imagine with me for a second, imagine what your life would look like. Can you imagine your life fully pleasing to God? Your life walking in a manner worthy of Him. Can you imagine the impact and the effect of that on your marriage? Your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your finances, your own private life, your own private thought life and attitudes and actions, actions because of your thoughts, because of your your attitudes. Jesus is saying to us, I've done it all for you. I've done all the hard work for you. You are qualified. You are already in my kingdom. All you need to do is take up my will, lean on my power, and begin to live like citizens in your new kingdom. And then watch the impact on your life. Watch what it'll do to your life. Watch what it'll do to those involved in your life. Jesus is all we need, sunrise, because he has done everything needed for us to live a faithful life to God. So would you take up his will? Would you lean on his strength and live it out faithfully to him and for him, for his glory, for your good, and the good of those around you? Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you that it always comes down to what you have already done for us. That you have already qualified us through faith in you to be citizens in your kingdom. Safe and sound in your kingdom because it's based on your work, not our work. But you know our hearts, you know our minds. You know how easily they can be distracted. You know how easily they can be tempted to do other things, to live in another way, a way that doesn't look like we're citizens of your kingdom. And so you haven't left us to our souls. You haven't left us to our own devices. You've given us your will. You've given us your word. You've given us the Holy Spirit to empower us to to be able to live out your will. And so I'm asking, please, would you do that? Would you strengthen us? Holy Spirit, would you convict us of those areas right now there we're not walking faithfully in a manner worthy of you? Would you show us what those areas are? Would you Would you grant us repentance? Would you show us in your word what you want, how you want us to live, especially regarding those areas? 
so that you might be glorified and we might experience your peace and we might experience your joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.